This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you ain't not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends Podcast, and I'm here, joined by my only friends. <laughs> just, you just don't and have I, the swagger, Burke. You just don't have it. Thank you for unmuting me. What in the <laughs> fuck is going on? My God. I need to get out of my prison cell. Yeah, what is it? Are, are, you, are you in there with Chin in his tunnel, or what's going on here? <laughs> Chin at least has a better background. What'd you catch a case for, man? <laughs> that looks like a padded cell. It does. Um, I, I caught a case for calling a river race. Mm. Don't do it. That's Don't true. Do it. No, hashtag, do it. hashtag they always have it. Brokers has been saying this on Twitter for years, man. Like, they literally, they always have it. You weren't saying that yesterday, were you? Wait, what? You weren't saying that yesterday. Go on. Uh, you saying fold? Uh, you meant to call rivers? Oh, for a hundred dollars, yes, Henry. We are going to donate to people to see what they have. <laughs> guy, you you fucking nit. <laughs> take a take a day off. Take a day off. Take mate. a day off, Matt. All right, seriously, <laughs> go to the gym. <laughs> Henry tried to cancel the pod to get us all in the gym. My God, man, I'm looking at all the shots and they are so clean and crisp. And like looking yep. at Conrad now, just like actually makes me sick. Yo, relax, bro. You gotta do that to me, you know? We're just here. You know, I know that you become a lighting expert. You went to lighting school and shit. Yeah, exactly. I know you, these things, you, but, you, you understand that. We gotta do what we gotta do. We're a traveling podcast. And you look like you, know, you have to hold a newspaper to say that you're alive. Yo, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> those are busting, though, for real, for real. <laughs> Yeah, they're busting for real. For real. That, I was so happy to see him in the casino. That's legit. All right, we got a lot to cover today. You look uh, like me doing an ad read. <laughs> 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 Everyone's flying up today. Let's go. All right. All right. Landon's got it today, man. He's sharp. He's quick. W Riz, baby. <laughs> no. No. Take a day off. El Riz. Take a day off, mate. Can somebody right. please explain what Riz is to me? You no. don't need to know, Connie, man. <laughs> Bro, just, yeah. just... I can't take this. No. It, it's better if you don't it, know. Yeah, it's quite better. honest. Right. Yeah. I'm going to keep it that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that's good. We, we have a pack show today. We're introducing something new that I want to get in the habit of. Uh, Tuesdays are for strategy. So today we're going to do a little bit of strat chat. We brought in the expert Henry Kilbane to uh, give us his rundown on some things. But before we get to all of that, I uh, have some other things that we want to cover. First and foremost, Midstakes Bible, uh, the long-awaited uh, next edition. I've been promising you guys uh, uh, additional videos for this course for quite some time. That is finally out today. Uh, we're digging into multi-way pots. So uh, today is lesson five. And I'm just going to like slow release these throughout the course of the year rather than trying to uh, position it towards the end of the year when I'm way, bu way too busy to put out a full course. Uh, so this uh, episode is out today. Uh, I'm hopeful to get you guys another one maybe by the end of February, early March. But I do believe we have a preview of uh, today's lesson. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Midstakes Bible. In this part, we'll tackle the difficult task of building a strategy conducive to multi-way environments. 
Multi-way environments are the best way to actually get back to thinking logically about the game, utilizing a game theory framework, but not actually having the solutions available to us to double check as though their answers in the back of a book. In today's lesson, we're going to examine the different formation types that arise multi-way and how we can functionally leverage leads both as the preflop aggressor and the preflop defender. Alright, so if you haven't already, head over to solverwide.io if you want to check out the Midstakes Bible. There are five lessons in that course. The first four uh, are mostly just dealing with game theory principles and getting you primed to construct a strategy from the ground up. We're now moving into multi-way. Uh, I'm going to be doing three or four lessons on those, including bomb pots. And then from there, we're going to dig into post-flop plays. So that's the plan for 2023 and the Midstakes Bible course. Uh, again, if you haven't already, head over to softwide.io, sign up today. Uh, we also still have two seats available at the February Academy, February 2nd to the 5th. This is a Poker Out Loud style academy, so it'll be you and seven of your peers playing in a live cash environment where you have to speak your thoughts out loud at each decision point along the way. Um, that will happen every other day. The days in between, we'll be teaching you strategy construction uh, basically prepping you and priming you to make these decisions in-game and give better thoughts and feedback. Uh, head over to academy.solverwide.io if you're interested in signing up for that. Let's get to the shits, boys. To the shits. Let's get to the shits. Uh, you got yourself in some shits this morning, Henry. <laughs> no you drama. Know? Oh man, it's 2023, year of no drama. Come yeah, near, year of no drama. You out, you out in these streets, man. You finally, <laughs> this is, this is what American live poker is like, bro. No, but it's not American though, is it? That's the problem. Is, is it? That, is that the Americans are absolutely fine. Well, we love the Americans. Yeah, because we're the whales. <laughs> no, like... Bro, we're the whales. You can say, man. Especially yeah. in PLO. Like, we, we, we get out there. Listen, we're all whales in PLO. <laughs> Let's be honest. No one has a clue what they're doing. Uh -huh. 500 bigs deep. That great game, yeah. Well, you were 500 big blinds deep in this hand, from what I understand. And uh, to give a brief synopsis of what happened, uh, I'll, I'll tell what I read as a third party, an objective third party, and then you can inter intervene as you see fit. Um, it appears a late night PLO session was getting off. I think you were playing... Five five ten with a rock. Uh, five, yeah, five five. The rocks. Okay, uh, a ten. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, the rock is ten. Uh, you're hella deep. Sounds like you're about five k effective. Four uh, k effective. Okay, four k so effective. Three point eight. Uh, you and a gentleman to your left. You have a bit of a rapport. You've been playing all night. Uh, there are two other players who are, I guess, fifty blinds effective with the rock. Yeah, yeah. And they get all in for five hundred dollars a piece. Uh, you have matched that 500 and put in another 2K on top. Correct. With about 1,300 behind. Correct. Uh, with the gentleman to your left. And this, this is where it gets a little bit squirrely. Mm -hmm. uh, so if I read the details correctly, this gentleman then says, do you want to run the bigger side pot twice? Yep. To which you agree. And then try to include the other two players. You ask them if they want to run it twice. One says yes. Another says, no, you guys have money behind. Uh, you're meant to play this out. And you just say, okay, no problem. Board comes king 7-7. Seven, seven. You say check. Player behind seems to just decide that uh, you guys are going to check it down at this point. I, I already know what he has at this point. He tabled or he, he told no, you? No, he just like, he goes, I have a massive hand and... 
I have king, queen, jack, ten, double suited. Okay. So it's obvious what he's got. It's just like it's a slow played aces and it's bad aces. Yeah. It's obvious that it's bad aces because he didn't squeeze pre. Right, right, right. Um, so, so yeah, it goes, he, he opens, seven players call. I squeeze from the big, uh, from like last position to mm -hmm. 200 or whatever. He flats with the ace, ace, nine deuce, rainbow. Uh, short stack's all in. Other short stack says run it. I then tank and I check my itinerary. I'm like, okay, I'm 4K effective. And I basically thinking out loud, I'm just like, okay, do I want to play a 10K pot right now? Which I literally said, I'm like, do I want to play a 10K pot? I flat the 500. He then makes it 25. I call plans to fold any ace high board. Uh, plans to like lead any six seven eight any flush draw any pair etc i call he then like snap grabs my my like left arm as the dealer's making the pot and he's just like okay do you want to run it twice mm. and at that point i think well if he's offering to run the side pot twice it's only fair to involve the other two players right which i think is correct yeah so i asked him if they want to run it twice the guy with nine nine four three single suited Snap says, yeah, let's run it twice. <laughs> and then uh, sure. the, other, the other guy who's obviously uh, more aware of the, the, the way that these hands can play out uh, and the potential EV for him to gain by us having money behind, which is obviously his right entirely, uh, says, no, you still have money behind. You have to play it out. Mm -hmm. To which I respond, okay, that is 100% fair. You're right. But at this point, I already know what this guy has. And he's just like, and he literally says, let's just check it down. Flop comes king seven seven. I'm like, yeah, okay, I check. Which again, in Lars's defense, by the way, and like, I don't know how I feel about arguing without Lars being here, kind of to yeah, tell his side fair. of the story and his <clears throat> version, because it's you know, it's like using well to, our to be fair and a friend's platform, yeah, yeah, which I agree with. To be fair, I don't, I don't necessarily want to uh, determine who's right or wrong here. Right. I think the bigger debate here is how to properly do business with multiple players involved. Yeah. Because I think having read both yours and Lars's side of things and we can we can cut to Lars's uh tweets because I think they'll they'll do a good job of portraying his argument with him not being here um let's run through these really quickly so uh number one he says regret calling your action scummy because I can't say with certainty you did what you did to gain uh an advantage uh go on number two um regardless of your intent your action cost two wrecks uh that were already in equity in the hand well, that's not true. They get to realize their equity of the fullest because they're all in, but it may have cost them EV. Uh, that's an important <laughs> distinction, I think. Um, number three, ask yourself why one rec was uh, opposing you guys stopping the action. It's because he knows it's unfair to him, regardless if you guys proceed to agree to check it down, uh, which is, in fact, collusion. Uh, you can expand. Um, <clears throat> that, I, that point, I think, is debatable, but uh, go on. Uh, what happened? Sorry, um, I'm relying on you to read these. You have to show replies. We got it, we got it. Oh, we got a boomer working the mic here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I'd have to explain how Twitter works. <laughs> Poor Guapo. Damn. Oh, Big Guapo. Uh, number four, all I did was saying uh, you shouldn't do that. After the hand was over, okay, like this this is just about yes. you know your interactions. It doesn't really matter. Uh I don't think you're a bad guy, but I think the reason I picked this up afterwards is because it's clearly unfair towards the two wrecks, okay? Um <clears throat> for people that don't understand the hand, okay, this is what I think is most important. Uh so if you scroll down to number six, uh for people that don't understand the hand and uh, the Henry fanboys. And the Henry fanboys. Uh the two wrecks, which admittedly I'm a Henry fanboy. 
the two wrecks are all in for about 500. Henry calls uh, 5k deep. It sounds like they're more like 4k deep. Uh, and faces a raise to 2.5k, which he calls. Uh, also, ask yourself who has the better range here. Uh, the, these details are, are obviously the guy has aces. Yeah, of course. Like, like the, I'm the, folding ace high balls. I'm folding deuce, deuce three. Like the, yeah. the stuff also just like doesn't really matter um, because really all he's trying to do is paint the paint the argument for uh, you know you being a header behind post, but you only have thirteen hundred dollars behind, and the pot is currently going to be like six k. So. Uh, it doesn't matter whose range is stronger. All that matters is that when you're getting laid 7.3 to 1, uh, what what type of hands or equity do you need in order to call off? So it's like you're going to need like 13% equity to call off post. You know, it's 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 not that difficult. There are very few flops that you're going to fold is the point. Right. Uh, cut back to that again. Okay, so uh, he states his hand. Here's the problem. If they play without talking to each other, Henry will check fold some flops. Basically, complete misses. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, he takes away the chance, uh, though occasionally rare, that it costs one of these guys and already uh, all in 2K pot. So like, I, I think that this point is very valid, right? So he talks about, like, think about whose range is stronger between yours and this guy's. Well, the same holds true for the two people who are all in, obviously. So you're not... Whatever. Uh, the, the, the final point is that when it comes down to the actual mechanics and the rules, uh, obviously there is something to be said here for the way that EV is distributed, right? Uh, in, in essence, when you two check it down, the two all-in players win the pot a little bit less frequently mm -hmm. because you're, like, what he's implying is that you will have some check folds. Uh, now, I would assume King 7-7 seven, seven wouldn't be one of them, but maybe, I guess, if you know that he has exactly aces, you might fold your hand at some frequency. Although, I would imagine you're about 15% to win this pot. Back, yeah, backdoor as well. Yeah, right, correct. And can still run turn and river twice, by the way. That's also true. Yeah, that is also true. Once you are all in, uh, you could run it twice. So anyway, uh, all of that is not really the point here. The point here is, what do we do in scenarios like this where people who are less uh, in tune to the rules present an awkward scenario because what I took away from this, uh, I, I, th I think the implication that you were being scummy here, again, I wasn't there, so like maybe the interaction isn't going precisely, but I read both of your accounts and it doesn't sound like there was much contradicting how it went down. <clears throat> Once the recreational who has 1300 behind basically propositions you to do business, right. what can be done? Because so much information is exposed at this point, right? The strength of his hand is exposed. Uh, the desire to get to the river without putting any more money in is exposed. Uh, and at that point, I would make the argument that the little sliver of EV that the two all-in players gain by this range being able to protect them by jamming flops is all but gone. Because you have basically perfect information. Mm -hmm. So from that point forward when uh he basically says like you know let's check it down which i do agree uh i've i've i even said this on like on lynn's podcast like that level of soft play uh does border on collusion yeah but there's a difference between when it's premeditated and agreed upon which was what i was implying was happening in the rip robbie scenario versus being in game having a guy look at you and just say like i don't want to put any more money in this pot I'm not saying one is more ethical than the other or one is more excusable than the other. But what I am saying is that the corrective actions on the latter 
are very difficult to highlight, right? So when a recreational says like, I want to do business and somebody's, so basically like if this were a heads up pot, it would have been totally fine. You guys would have been able to do business. Yeah, of course. He would have been able to say like, do you want to just like check it down and run it twice or whatever? And nobody would have intervened because there's no EV distributed otherwise, right? But because it's four ways, uh, Lars is right. You do have to protect the two all-in players to some degree. However, it wasn't you that propositioned this man, as far as I understand. All right. right. He propositioned you. Mm-hmm. So once that proposition takes place, what then can we do as professionals in order to protect the integrity of the game? I said the only thing I thought you could have done differently is jam river once you have the board locked. So it's the turn was a king. It goes check, check again, which I think is quite reasonable. And then the river's a brick. Uh, and I said, like, I think it's quite reasonable that you should shove there based off the fact that you have the nuts. But again, even in that instance, you're not protecting anybody but yourself. And shoving seems super scummy now that I know what he's got as well. Yeah, I understand your, your reasoning for like, not. In, in, my, in my shoes, that seems like super unethical when he's just like, hey, do you want to run it twice? Oh, no, someone else has intervened. We're not allowed to run it twice. I now have the best hand. I'm all in. Right. Grow up. The, the irony of that is that uh, I would jam that spot just basically so that uh, there was no argument of collusion. But I would also jam that spot expecting him to literally never call. Which is now why jam. Yeah. Right? It's like I'm jamming to, to basically fulfill the mechanics of, a, of an arbitrary rule. Not an arbitrary rule, but a, of a rule that exists. That says like, you know, when you have good hand, uh, maybe an unspoken rule is the, is the right way to say it. But don't forget, there's a huge side part. Right. Like, so if I know what he's got, like he, he can still call there thinking I'm just trying to like steal the 4K. Yeah. That's that, like between that, us. Okay. You know? that, that's, that's, that's fair. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's fair. Like, the side like, pod's like, big it, enough where bluff, bluffing oh, could 100%. occur. Oh, 100%. Like, like he, he, I don't think he's ever folding river mm. if, if I jam. And I, I, and, I, and I think it's super unethical. And, and the reason why this even became a thing in the first place is because this guy's in my DMs saying that I'm scummy. He's trying to out me. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I personally would typically agree with him, but I just think the, the way that he approached it. And he, he wants me in that spot, in the heat of the moment, as soon as the guy offers uh, to run it twice, I'm apparently, and apparently this is things that all regs do, I'm meant to stand up and say to him, no, sir, you are stealing potentially... Uh, a sliver of EV from these other two players, I may bet on flop turn or river, which hasn't happened in the history of the fucking game. Wait, I'm c- confused slightly, like, why EV is being slightly won? Because Henry could fold flop. Yeah. So, like, if, 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 if I check fold flop, the, the, the EV that I fold is then split equal or not, not equally, equally. nowhere near not closely. That, that's the important but thing to that percentage will go up yes. slightly though yes. like yeah. this this is very right. important to understand most right. of that ev is distributed to the person who jams flop right. yeah the, the like the vast majority of it so uh at the end of the day oh because <laughs> they are now like just getting some three-way now for the main pot and three ways for the main instead of four. yeah okay. right um, but like at the end of the day, the biggest takeaway here is, uh, this, this, in my opinion, and, uh, it's funny because I, I even said off air, like, uh, this is such a pedantic argument to me and like ridiculous, but I, I want to take like Lars's side because by the letter of the law, he's obviously correct. Of course. Uh, but this to me falls under the realm of soft skills that, that you deal with in the live venue. So like. I've seen this play, like, you know, I, I read both threads and both are kind of saying, like, this is something that, like, literally almost never happens. Well, 
in the high stakes arena, this always happens. Like There's legitimately, a lot of business, lot of all, business being so done. much business gets yeah. done. So much business gets done. And for me personally, even though like it took me reading this argument for like a solid 40 minutes for me to even I had the same reaction as Landon. Right. You just have the numbers circling around your head. Like. Just like, what the fuck is the difference here if it's four-way or three-way to the end? Because it's so rare that Henry will fold flop, right? I'm sorry that you wasted 40 minutes of your time reading. reading <laughs> no, I, I, well. I enjoy thought experiments. Um, but the the thing is, is that uh, there what makes it so difficult is that uh, at some point it doesn't become... Uh, it, it doesn't become irrelevant anymore, right? If the main pot is, call it 10K, right. and everybody has like really nutted ranges, and like now it's not necessarily clear that the EV shifts to one person unfairly or whatever, and maybe the side pot is only like 2K or something to that effect, right? And now, uh, you know, the pr protection or, or, or the integrity of the game, or maybe like, let's say they're 20K effective instead of $1,300 effective, and there's a lot of play left out. At some point, it's very, very uh, clear that them playing poker after the flop is important to the two people who are all in. It, this is why in most public scenarios, they run it once only with multiple players involved for the most part uh, i don't think that that's like true. four rules to just run it once always it's i don't true. think that's multiple true people well, it, it is true where it, yeah only like two it's, only rate games and yeah, the reason yeah sure yeah not it's not high skate uh, high stake it's just rate no games i think rate games part. they don't even allow you to run it twice at all that's what i'm saying mo yeah most don't right but, but if, if they do they want to he's saying in time players. games if it's multiple multi ways they don't allow you to where i don't know i'm just Right, that's what I'm, I'm okay. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking, like, where? So, uh, Na name me a place where you're so not allowed in, so to run in time, twice. So, okay, so versus rake and uh, like timed and untimed rake games. In timed games, you can kind of do whatever you want, and in rake games, they only let you run it once. Generally, yeah, yeah. yeah. And honestly, like, that's good for the play that's smart for the players. In rake games, you don't want to run it twice Agreed. because chopping the pot and paying the rake is terrible. Right, right, especially in high rate games. So, like, the casino is actually doing the players a big favor there. Uh, and in time games, usually it comes with A, being uncapped, so running it twice is much more important to keeping your ecosystem healthy. Uh, but B, even if it's not uncapped, stacks can tend to get a little bit deeper. I'm still having the numbers float around my head where if everyone agrees to run it twice, like there's just no more action left in the hand, right? Right. Correct, but one person didn't agree here. Yeah, one, one guy didn't agree. One person that already has all their money in. Correct. Did yeah. not agree. Correct. Right. And that's, that's the whole point that I'm getting at. So then it should only be once. Yeah, and it did only go once. That's what happened. But that's not yeah. the point. What ends up happening now is because that discussion was even had, a certain collusion effect takes place. Right. Mm. Right? So a certain soft Yeah, a certain soft collusion between Henry and the person with money behind starts to take place. Were they both incentivized to check down? Well, no. not necessarily. It's just, it's just the fact that they kind of talked about checking down when like they he could, somebody could be bet out of this hand. And like, if the, somebody's bet out of this hand, it's obviously better for the person that's all in or one of the people that's all in. Exactly. What well, Conrad just said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, ulti ultimately what we're trying to like <clears throat> conclude is how do you navigate the soft skills of this? Right? Because if, if Lars had, here, here's my issue with it uh, of why I think it's, uh, why I think he's making much ado about nothing. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not even the right phrasing. Mountain out of molehill is maybe 
uh, a bigger the, deal the than better it phrasing. is. Yeah. But the, the, the big reason why I think that is if he truly had a case for this being like an egregious form of cheating, he would have just called the floor. Yeah. Right. And they would have yeah. handled it. Yeah. Right. And well, if they would have thought that Henry was truly cheating here, they would have kicked him out. But like no floor worth their salt would even <clears throat> really bother to hear this out. What do you think a floor should do? Like, let's say you were the floor and you heard this happen. Right. So this is why I'm coming back to this being a soft skill, because uh, what I think the floor would do and should do is very similar to how I think it should just be policed in game. And right? what do you think that so is? So if the floor comes over and they hear this argument, I think that they should just say, hey, don't do that again. Right. And that's exactly that what they're going to do. Happen. Right. Like, just don't have the conversation about running it twice. Yeah. Like, like uh, in a multi-way pot, don't talk about your hand. Yeah. But it's also unpunishable in cash. What are they going to do? Give you a timeout? Right. Yeah. Right. There's no penalty. Right. Yeah, so there's no penalty for it. It's just like, it's one of those things that you just like hope everybody abides by the rules. Right. Same thing as like folding you know, out a turn and, and yeah, all these other cards. Yeah. Right. So it's like all of these things are frowned upon and there are quote unquote rules against them. But there's no real penalties in cash other than kicking the player out. And you have to do something pretty egregious. Uh, and the, the entire pool would agree to this, right? Like, you have to be uh, an egregious, um, <clears throat> consistent uh, violator in order to get kicked out. If like you, you've, you've had these conversations and shown cards multiple times. And you're, you you're out a trying to... Over and over and over again. You're trying to gain EV here over enough of a sample. Yeah, it's when people do things that very clearly... Uh, demonstrate repetitive behavior to try to gain EV in their favor. Right. In this instance, even if Henry initiated it, it could just be a byproduct of like, uh, this is a really big pot in a small game. Right. right? So it, it's not even necessarily uh, anything beyond the instinct of like just trying to protect variants. But uh, I don't even want to talk too much about that because I don't think he initiated it from both accounts. Uh, so it's not really important, right? <laughs> that, that, that's the most insane thing is like he's, he's basically, and then this is the reason I have beef with it because I think integrity and reputation in this industry is so fucking important. Sure. And it's something I've worked, you know, so, and he like snaps, starts throwing around the term collusion starts playing whispers with his neighbor saying like, I can hear them whispering out the corner of my It's like, oh, it's collusion, but it'd be difficult to prove it, this, that, and the other. And I just turn around to him, just like, look, mate, it's like, what are you doing? And then he's like DMing me saying, uh, uh, I'm going to take this publicly and we'll let the people decide if you're a scumbag or not. So mm. he, he's basically insinuating that I, in the moment, knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly how much EV I'd be gaining by the time that the action guy offered to run it twice me then snap offering the other two guys is quite literally a fraction of a percent of EV. And he's hoping that I would do that in that spot. Do you know what that equates to dollar-wise in this situation? <clears throat> I don't know, but I'll fucking give it back to him. I don't care. Well, that, you should, because it's probably somewhere around a big blind to the two yeah. players that were all in. Yeah, and he started saying to- So to it's the like two, $5. To the two wrecks, he's like, oh yeah, he just stole $100 of EV from No me. shot. It's like, it's 5%. Per player, right? Like I no swear shot. to God, that's what he said. He said he just stole stole a hundred bucks from you. Yeah, it's just like it's it's just literally no shot. There, there's no way it could ever be that much uh, when you're getting laid seven and a half to one. Like you just don't have to have that much equity to call off. So like his fold equity with the thirteen hundred dollars is so incredibly low. Henry folded a hundred dollars once. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You could be making some pretty big mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's right. true. Okay, yeah. so now that fold, now there's a whole other argument. It might here. be like fifteen dollars. Right. See, right. I mean, if you just called the hundred dollars, I don't have that to say. <laughs> that, you know what? I'm back on Team Lars. You actually, 
You actually <laughs> may have robbed these people of thousands of dollars. Thousands. Based yeah. off the yeah, fact that you, of dollars you might here. be folding like 80%. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm folding <laughs> Queen Jack-Jack just yeah. in case right. he's got fucking queens. Exactly. Yeah. Like, no straight... No, no deal, man. No straight, no, no date, baby. Yeah, no straight, no date. We're out of here. Okay, so, so Team Lars might be might be onto something. But all jokes aside, like the actual reality is, if 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 Henry stole somewhere in the neighborhood of like two percent of the pot away from the people who are all in, that's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like what twenty dollars? Yeah, maybe less. Honestly, I sleep like a baby. I've had dealers from the area text me within the last like six hours. And I, that's all I care about. All I care about is the interactions I have with the majority of players, the, the dealers, the floor staff, the cocktail waitresses, whatever. As far as nitreg European shitheads go, fuck them. <laughs> fuck it, we ball, baby. Ser okay. Seriously, man. Oh just like, okay, this, now, now this, this is the point where we're leveraging the platform yeah. incorrectly. <laughs> all right. All right. We're going to go zero days without nonsense, so we're going to move on. <laughs> I, I, understand this, I understand the frustration from both, and I under, he, here's the reason why I wanted to have this conversation, because in years past, I very much would have not had patience for this. Uh, and as the game is evolving, I'm, I'm starting to try to at least be a better... Uh, moderator of of two different worlds, so to speak. I don't know Lars. I don't know anything about him. But as best I can tell, he probably comes from an online background where yeah. this stuff is not a thing. Doesn't exist, right? Yeah. It, it's automated, right? So these things will never occur outside of you know people being in each other's DMs or on on <laughs> Skype card sharing and cheating. Say, there's, a, there's a nice Discord group for that. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he's had way more EV stolen from him just simply through uh, minor technologies <laughs> yeah. than what happened in this actual the pod. Discord's called uh, <clears throat> Morality for Everybody. No EV stealing at all. Discord. Right. <laughs> uh, but the the point I'm trying to get to is that people think about things very differently, especially when it comes to money. Right. Uh, personally, I've always ninety percent of my time has been spent in the live venue. And, uh, you know, the, the quote unquote art of negotiation is a big byproduct of live poker, in my opinion. Right. So this stuff comes up all the time. I've seen business done like this in high stakes all the fucking time, literally all the time. And it happens in the blink of an eye. Right. I've seen bets given back that, uh, you know, didn't deserve to be given back. Uh, I've seen pots split that weren't meant to be split. Uh, I've, I've seen this trick run a lot by Rex where it's, uh, a massive bet in a call, and then the rec goes, do you want to chop it? Yeah. Right? I, yeah, I told someone they had a straight flush once, and I got yelled at for it, so. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, and, and, <laughs> no more of that. And, like, you know, when the when the rec does this, when the rec goes, like, you know, do you want to chop it? Usually it's because they got caught bluffing, and they're just trying to get EV back off of you, right? right? Normally yeah. it's not the pro that's going to do but stuff like that. But sometimes they are just, like, taking taking a, a little bit of, or showing a little bit of grace to somebody that he knows overextended. Yeah. You know, something along those lines where they're like, you know, I'm nutted, but this board, like, you can easily have a combo draw here, and I don't want to get sucked out on. Do you want to just chop it? Right. That type of thing. And it's it's never going to be equal, right? You're never going to be able to set a precedent or, like, a rule for all of these that, things right. in yeah. the private scene. Or, or even in the public. In, in the discourse. Yes, even in the public scene. Like, th there's nothing Henry could have done to stop this man from asking if he wanted to run it twice. And once that <laughs> dam is broken, 
the the whole thing unfolds. Right, as soon as he's about to speak to Henry, he can't say, "Yo, don't speak to me, man." Right, <laughs> hold up, hold up, and let him cook. Let him cook. Now, I I do understand, like from Lars's perspective, it's like, well, maybe we as pros could do a better job of messaging that, like, this is not okay. But my issue with that is, then all games suck. Yeah, right? now you're taking away the fun. What he's asking for is a game that just sucks. If everybody in the game is overly passionate and concerned about ensuring that not one shred of EV is ever unfairly distributed, the game just goes to shit because a lot of the antics do that. Now, usually it's the person involved in the antics. Like in this instance, the person giving up the EV here is not Henry and it's not even the players who are all in. It's the guy with 1300 behind who has aces that could have protected his hand. I, I, I'm, more. I'm giving up EV in that spot. Um, not really. Uh, well, I am because like if if it comes like ace deuce deuce or whatever ace high, I just like fold obviously. But if I like have straights or two pair or whatever. Oh, it is, oh, oh, right, because you're not like, value jamming. Like, like you yeah. ended up with the nuts and you didn't jam. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Okay, so, like, yes, 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 yes. In, in that right. spot, like I I think that I'm actually costing myself EV, especially my hand multi way. Sure. In that spot, I have the most equity going into the hand. Mm -hmm. Right, like you flop nuts versus guy with side pop, but agree to check down when you actually don't have to do anything is kind of fucking you over a little bit. Yeah. But this is all so, so crazy. That's why I get invited to private games. And even, even the guy that I stacked, the, the guy that said, you can't run it twice, you have money behind. Afterwards, he was literally like, to be fair, you do give a lot of action. And that's coming from like a recreational player who knows that I'm a pro. Right. He's, he's like, you are good for the game. You do give a lot of action. Right. I was like chatting with him for like an hour. Like, I think it's easy for a outsider to maybe look at that spot and think, oh, the pro is definitely trying to get the best of it here. And then use that as like a precedent when sometimes it's just not the case. Yeah, I think, I think that's the problem with looking at things in a vacuum. Right. 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 It's like in an, as an isolated incident, this obviously just like doesn't sit well with the quote-unquote rules right but whenever you play live poker this shit just happens all the time and that that's the that's the overarching point that i wanted to kind of address mm -hmm. is that uh you don't want to over police a game yes i want to stop the nit from seat hopping on the reg or on on the recreational over and over and over again because that's stealing ev in it's not here's the thing it's not even stealing ev he's playing by the rules yeah right that that's that's the contradiction that we're dealing with we we should never allow that to happen because it's so fucking predatory. Yeah, and, that, right? that, and that's what he justifies doing, by the way. Basically, anything egregious shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, yeah. but that's within the rules. Like he's allowed to he's allowed to bum hunt the Rex at the Aria or casinos. He's allowed to leave once he's been asked to go to the main game where all the regs are, and then put his name back onto the list, rejoin the feeder table where all the all the fish are. You know, it's just like. I don't know. Uh, how, how do you protect against something like that? You can't. Right. So I guess like that's what I'm, what I'm ultimately uh, saying is that, uh, you know, these ecosystems are meant to be self-policed in, in a big way. And I do think it's important that like both sides are heard. I, I think he thinks about the game very differently than people who are like from the live realm. We kind of recognize that it is this community. It's a lot more of uh, a, a collaborative cooperative environment than online which is super cutthroat and in a super cutthroat winner take all type of environment it's very critical that the rules are enforced because nefarious action is the easiest way to ensure that you're the winner who takes all right in the live realm nefarious action is very difficult to even uh get away with yeah it's, it's very difficult to even get away with you have like eight to nine watchful eyes on you as well as cameras and all this other stuff right. and it's so goddamn slow 
that uh, it's not necessarily even rewarded, right? Because you have to find yourself in an opportune situation to even do it. So like to be pre-programmed somehow to think that like you can angle in this particular spot. And by the way, like if it's, if it's any form of cheating, it's angling, not collusion, because collusion implies premeditation. Right. Right. Uh, it, there can't be like an after the fact collusion effect because two strangers have decided that it's in their best interest to check down. This happens in tournaments all the time. You know, it's an unspoken thing where you're on the money bubble, one guy's all in, and there's chips left behind between two players and no side pot. What the fuck do you think is going to happen? Right. right. It's kind of a natural <laughs> byproduct of multi-way pots. It's like there's collusion, there's collusion happening effect. where you mm -hmm. try to sandwich somebody in between, and it's kind of beneficial for the people putting in chips because now the guy in between is kind of fucked. Yeah. And that's just kind of part of the game. Like, And with the whole cheating thing in a live arena, you also, if, get, if you get caught, can have actual implications towards your future bottom line right we're online like if you you might be able to get banned but there's still ways to get around it yeah which we're all too aware of yup gg acr pool let them cook let them cook let them cook the chefs are in the fucking kitchen man they got multiple accounts out there doing it yeah um okay you're, you're a legend for investing so much time into this but again i just want to reiterate 2023 year of no drama going forward <laughs> yeah zero days since well, last nonsense well, to be fair i don't care about the drama uh i well matt burkey no no, no. i i mean you i i truly suck. don't care that you two were were arguing and having a pissing match in each other's dms Whoa. i do care that <laughs> let him cook though <laughs> hang on a minute Whoa. i i do care that these i was in bed <laughs> <laughs> sliding in you're in bed sliding in uh no but i do care that uh there will be people in live settings that will come across things like this and view it two two very different ways and we should be very slow to uh to accuse yeah i think I the think. premise is cool right because maybe someone that's listening hears the conversation and then someone is about to talk to them like in multi-way pot something like this it's like hey like i think it's best that we just don't talk about this at all yeah and i would be curious like what would have what would have what what he would have said if the fourth player in the hand would have agreed to run it twice like at that point he just down. has to be okay with there's it there's no right? issue at that point at that point if everyone agrees to run it twice just check down both boards no, you just run it twice. The dealer's not going to interfere. He, they don't give a shit. But well, does Henry and, and the other guys still have a side pot? Well, yeah, it, they it, just it table was, their hands. By the way, I, and I, I didn't mention this because I now that you've said that, it was Lars, by the way, who originally made the, the other guy aware that we weren't allowed to do that. The right, other guy right, hadn't right. said anything. The first guy with the 9943 single said yes. Lars then chimes up and says, you're not allowed to do that. And it's only when he says that, that the other recreational that was all in for 500 then said, no, you're not allowed to do that. You have money behind. Right, 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 and he's yeah. now but trying he's to lean. Wrong. Sorry, go on, He's Conrad. not wrong for saying that. Like, he's not, he's no. Not wrong I, I think wrong. he is. But it's not, his, it's not his money. He's not in the pot. And he's like trying to- Correct. He, he's trying to like white knight it and like take this moral high ground that he, he was doing it to look after the Rex, which is just nonsense. And I, I just don't trust any- anyone that pretends to do that stuff also uh if you're truly concerned about the pool itself uh situations like this where it's it's more beneficial for the entire ecosystem and those two recreationals to run this board twice 100 percent, than it is for you to fold your hand 100 percent, like you know uh, fold your hand five percent of the time yep i just find myself in like a situation where i would, I would like just yell out the rule like yo you can't do that it's no but i like disagree with that though uh, I, I think like doing business in in pots like this are completely reasonable, and at that point, the dam has already been broken, right? Like once it's already been offered, uh, now they're already going to suffer 
because this no. this fourth player has offered to run it twice. So they're already suffering. They're already going to lose that EV because there's nothing that can be done to police anything moving forward. No, so you might as well at them... that point it's just like hands off, like whatever. But I'm just saying, like but I you're saying find you... myself in you're I saying just you like chimed black in. and say you can't do that. Like you shouldn't do that in the future. Like I don't like whatever. Do whatever you want. But I mean, I, you could say that maybe after the business is done, if you want. Yeah. But even then, I wouldn't bother because it's like, in my opinion, when it comes down to doing business at the table, only the parties involved should be involved in the conversation, right? Unless like, unless something super scummy is happening. Yeah. I, don't know. I said it to him and he said, well, what if a shooter came in? Would I not do anything? Or what if my neighbor, <laughs> I swear on my grandfather's grave, he literally snap responded, if a shooter came in, would you expect me to not do anything? Or if my neighbor was getting robbed, would you not do it? Like, I'm honestly getting like super pumped up now. I just want to- No drama, no drama. Oh, let's no go drama. gym, let's go gym. Seriously, this yes. guy. Pump some iron. So I'm going to stack him. So oh man. Yeah, all this is, is pretty wild. Um, four hours sleep. All right. That's, hey, that's you had you had a great show prepared today as well. We're we're still going to do a great show. We've already started. It's, we're well into a great show. The it's only through th the only thing that we're obviously going to gloss over now is uh, what happened in the NFL yesterday, which yes, uh, you know I don't want to talk too deeply about because this is Strat Chat, and we're well into the Strat Chat. But uh, for those who were paying attention to the Monday night game yesterday, it was suspended. Uh, I gotta I gotta talk about this. It was my man. He's a Yinzer through and through uh from from mckee's rocks uh suffered damar hamlin oh yeah yeah sorry i didn't even realize i didn't say his name DeMar, uh damar hamlin the safety for the bills uh he suffered uh is, is it officially diagnosed it's not okay it's so not, it's still speculation it, well yeah it's just speculation um you can pronounce it because uh, commodio commotio commodio cordis yeah it, this is most likely what what happened. This, this is what occurs to like healthy athletes when they get hit in the chest in a certain way in the <laughs> right exact time of the uh, cycle of the heart pumping. Um, it causes uh, V-fib, which I think is vertical fibrillation, which can uh, cause the heart to start beating irregularly and which will eventually cause um, a cardiac arrest. Yeah, so I so I was, we do we do know he was in cardiac arrest, right? And they did have to um, use a defibrillator to 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 shock him to get his heart back. So uh, th it only makes sense that this is the most likely scenario. We don't know for sure. Yeah, th and th this happens. I, I won't say commonly within sports, but it does happen. Uh, there are a few other examples of it. Uh, I Cr believe Cr it Christian Eriksen. I don't know who that is. Uh, Soccer player in Euros, like the exact same thing happened, where he just collapsed on the pitch, and yeah, the entire world was watching. And they, Did they he stopped. get hit in the chest? Uh, I, I he just like been shoulder barged yeah. in, in soccer, and yeah, right. he just like collapsed. like this. This play was this wasn't a violent play that happened yeah. last night. It was a, just a routine kind it's of brought play. Brought to you by. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that was, but uh, yeah, so it's like, I mean, this, this happens in baseball too. Um, Obviously, very rarely, but uh, you know, a, a, maybe a pitcher or somebody takes a takes a, uh, a baseball to the chest. Mm. It can it can happen. It's it's so rare, and it it's yeah, it's just yeah. This uh, happened to Chris Pronger a few years back uh, in hockey. He took a slap shot to the chest. Uh, I think we actually have a clip of it, and then just like collapses on the ice. Can you just do more? No. <laughs> Hands it across. Big drive. 
drive, and that one blocked and into the equipment of Jeff Portnall, and another penalty coming up. And Detroit's going to have a two-man advantage for 10 seconds. You know, Pronger could be hurting here, guys. He took the slap shot into the chest. This isn't funny. There's a problem here. He took the slap shot into the chest. The trainer's out there quickly, and you can see with that slap shot into his ribs and chest, he's having some problems. With, and here comes John Wharton from the Detroit bench. Just very serious. And then he moved out, and he took a slap shot really high off the chest. Here, right here. Here it comes. Boom, yeah. The left side of his chest near his heart. Uh, you can see he's breathing there, and... It looks like he's gotten a lot of attention immediately from both teams. And I, I couldn't cut be happier for the amount of... Yeah, so... Uh, Why did people start cheering when he fell? They, they well, I think they, they were cheering they were... there was a fight. Oh. He was like... Rah, was like uh, <laughs> oh, my God. So I, I, I think... I was watching a doctor explain this uh, yesterday on... I think it was Twitter. There was a video that was shared. Basically what happens is... Uh, basically what Brian explained, that it throws off the, uh, the, 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 rhythm. the rhythm of the heart. And uh, instead of like having a powerful squeeze that will send blood through, it starts to like flutter. And that leads to cardiac arrest. They usually have to defib. Uh, and the last update I saw was that he was in the hospital and he was breathing on his own, which seems to be a good sign. Uh, I didn't see that. Was that recent? Yeah, one of, his friend, on his one of his friends was tweeting updates. Uh, yeah, I saw that he was, he was intubated. Yeah. So he's not intubated anymore. He's, he is breathing on his I own. I don't know if he's still intubated or okay. not. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big... Uh, that's why I just want to make sure that's correct because um, going from being intubated and breathing on your own is a, is a huge step forward, yeah. which we hope is the Well, case. the prognosis is good, obviously, if if this is what he's diagnosed with. Pronger went on to play 12 more seasons and really? was back two weeks later. That's amazing. I mean, if that's the outcome, that's the best thing we could they could ever hope yeah, for. Yeah, of course, of course. Right. Um, but yeah, who knows? Like, it could have been something else. Like, there mm -hmm. could be an underlying condition. We, we don't really right. know. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, huge... Uh, huge wishes for for him on a speedy recovery. Don't know what this is going to do to the NFL. Doesn't look like they're going to have time to to make this game up. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's just it's a not that this is a, a big concern. Obviously, like everyone we're concerned about uh, you know, as health. But uh, yeah, they, it's a scheduling nightmare. But it's like they'll figure it out. Whatever happens, if they have to cancel one game and then adjust. Accordingly to the new records, then that, that's what they do. Yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful that they push the playoffs back a week mm -hmm. uh, because I think that this game has pretty massive implications for the playoffs. Right. It's the Buffalo Bills are playing for the one seed. If they don't play this game, they are highly... They go from a favorite... They go from being a favorite uh, to be the one seed to like pretty huge dog Yeah. as the Chiefs play the Raiders and would, they, would need the, they would need a Chiefs loss there. Um and then for Cincinnati, it's obviously for the division, where if they uh, were to lose that game and then play, the, they, they would be playing the Ravens for the division next week. So uh, it does have playoff implications applied to it. Also, as you know, a selfish Steeler fan, I need the Bills to be playing really <laughs> tough against New England. Uh, so you know, my hopes are that they don't make it up this week. They push the playoffs back a week. That way, this game Buffalo playing New England next week is very meaningful, and they just get after it. Uh, and honestly, that might be what they intend on doing is seeing the result of the Bills, uh, the Bills New England game and the, the Bengals Ravens game. And if it if, falls favorably, where like it doesn't matter, like if the Bills lose to the Patriots right. or the, yeah. the Bengals beat the Ravens, then, they don't need then it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if it does matter, then maybe they make it up. Who knows? Um, little break there from, from some poker strap, but we're going to get back into the thick of things. Uh, and move a little bit off of the soft skills 
on the felt to the soft skills off the felt. Uh, and honestly, the reason why I said that I thought uh, Henry's um, scenario was relevant is because uh, this is going to go into a lot of the soft skills that you run into on the felt. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience on Live at the Bike towards the end of the year and how uh, those soft skills can be detrimental whenever you're a little bit too accommodating, right? Uh, so I retweeted uh, a thread and uh for what it's worth i think that these are really i don't know if helpful is the right word but i i think it's really important to highlight the times that our industry is uh kind of put on display by people outside of the industry um it, it kind of really resonates with everybody else that poker is a practical sandbox for a lot of these mathematics that uh, occur in everyday life, in the real world, in other arenas, and things of that nature. Uh, so this account, 10K Diver, um, who is, uh, you know, based off of his own definition on his Twitter, uh, Twitter page, is um, heavily into finance and investing. Uh, and he puts out these educational threads, uh, has just shy of 300K followers, uh, puts out these educational threads, kind of demonstrating the math that underlies in, in these uh, arenas, right? Uh, and, you know, when we think about gambler's fallacy, gambler's ruin, uh, the first thing that comes to mind for us is poker and bankroll management and things of that nature, right? But we forget that there's a whole other world out there that is doing this on the regular. And it's not within the constructs of a game. It's, you know, more so within the constructs of life. The first time I learned the term gambler's fallacy mm. was actually baseball. Right, because we we had the do theory, mm-hmm. and uh, do theory have, is just what do theory do theory. Like he's do. You never heard of the do theory? I know that people say that they're due to win a tournament. And <laughs> yeah. stuff. that's yeah, a do that's theory. That's a do theory. Uh, and in baseball, it's like it's, it's nonsense, is what it is. <laughs> You're over to yeah. mate. That's <laughs> way over to. Yeah, where's my wins? Uh, in baseball, it's 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 a way that we try to humanize, uh, you know statistical anomalies and mm-hmm. and these runs of positive and negative like, oh, guys yeah guys over four and he's coming up for his fifth at bat it's like he's due he's he's due he's gonna get a hit we, more often than he normally here's the thing that's not it always leads to positive outcomes we have do theory in baseball mm-hmm. and we have the hot streak yeah right so if right. a guy's hot you obviously got to get him more plate appearances because yeah, right. he's seeing the ball really well and he's gonna hit well above his average <laughs> if he's due then he needs to regress to the mean i, I think the former has a little bit more merit to it Right? Uh, no, it's it's heavily disproven. Uh, the hot hand the theory, hot hand? the hot hand theory in basketball has been like largely disproven mm, by statistical analysis. What yeah. about in poker? It, when you just flopping sets, you got to play the rush. Man. So say you got to play the rush, man. They're both the same in. It, for the same like being reason being locked in is not a thing no. locked they're, in they're, baby <laughs> it's definitely it. a thing we, we saw joey it. do it you, know? you gotta be locked in i'm always locked in the, the hot hand theory and do theory mm-hmm. or gambler's fallacy mm-hmm. both uh both suffer from the exact same thing and uh what ultimately disproves both of them is the regression to the mean so right. the person who's due will eventually start to perform because they're currently underperforming either via variance or whatever reason, and they'll regress to the mean and arrive at what they should be performing at. Same thing with the hot hand theory. If you catch a streaky shooter, eventually he's going to regress to the mean right. and shoot his, his natural percentage. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? There's a reason why the numbers are what they are. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So variance always will correct. And anytime you zoom in on a data subset, you'll see streaks, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like flipping a coin. You'll see streaks of heads and streaks of tails. But when you zoom out over 10,000 flips, you're just going to see a 50-50 a lot of, distribution. Like fantasy football analysis, uh, 
uses this as well because people like want to play a person because right. of what they did in the past few games when it's just like no or not play somebody. Correct. It's like, oh, I'm going to sit this guy who's a stud this week because he's not been performing the last two weeks. When then you sit him and then Mike Evans happens and yeah, the I mean, championship. We're always going to take things that we think make sense to fit into our boxes and patterns of reality. Well, right. there, there, there are, there is a sublayer to all of this that is worth something, and that's like kind of the behavioral economics of things. And when you're talking about like fantasy football, there are decisions by the coaches, or you know, baseball or anything else. There are decisions made by the coaches that actually can dissuade you from playing somebody who is yeah. streaking negatively. Oh, right. right, because somebody's due, like, or whatever, like, it's they like, will or won't yeah. play because of these things Their that do impact you. lead them to not play them exactly. as much, which is why you shouldn't play the Exactly, yeah. exactly. Right. Right, so if a coach is susceptible to the logical mm -hmm. fallacy that uh, this guy is underperforming, he might get benched or he might get fewer looks, right? right? If a quarterback is susceptible to look for the guy as a first read who has the hot hand, Yeah. Or if a basketball coach is trying to force the ball to a, a streaky shooter. That's the metagame, baby. Right. So like now you are kind of, you're navigating in behavioral economics in that regard. Right. And that's true of all markets too, right? Uh, whenever you're looking, you know, we, we talked a lot with Dan while we were up in Tahoe. Uh, a a lot of guy. what they have to figure out whenever they're doing, you know, day trades and trying to figure out how the market is going to move is what's the pulse of the, the um, uh, retail trader? Right? Like, what's the pulse of all the dumb money? So you do have to be locked in. You do kind of have to be locked in. Yeah. You got to be yeah. locked into the meta. Mate, Dan is definitely locked in. What a guy. Bro, he's just... <laughs> Jesus, I love that just guy. Just snowed in forever trying to Snowed in, locked out. in. He just has the dream life. Just the dream setup. I absolutely love that <laughs> That's guy. That's fucking Uncle Dan, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. He just That's got his, like, big Uncle screens, Dan. day trading, yeah. watching the markets. Uncle Dan getting after it. Oof. Um... Okay, so to dig into this thread a little bit, let's talk about uh, what the gambler's ruin is. Uh, and I guess to give a precursor to this, it's very important to know what Kelly Criteria is. So Kelly Criterion is uh, a formula that basically will allow you to calculate how much risk you can take on without ruining yourself. Uh, so uh, it, it's a risk of ruin calculator to, yeah. to, to make it short. Incredibly important in sports betting. Yes. Also incredibly important in poker, but a little bit more difficult to apply. Right. Uh, and the reason being is because, number one, you need to know your win rate. Which is uh, hard to know empirically. Well, it's hard to know one-offs specifically, right? So if, you're, life, if, if you have data, you can figure out what your long-term win rate is. Like, right. I have an idea of what my long-term win rate is in live cash. Assuming the pool is the same? Exactly. Or that's, the, that's the problem. Right. My, online, you can do it. Right. Mine's on an aggregate of 20 years. Exactly. So it's just like the 510 game that I was playing in 2007 is not the same 510 game that I would play today. So I would like to play the 510 game from 2007. Yes, you would. Uh, so, awesome. So like, it's difficult, it it's difficult to uh, have accurate estimations there. Yeah. Um, and try to figure out how exactly uh, this formula is going to allow you to calculate risk. But, you know, you could do some certain things to kind of look at a conservative estimate versus an aggressive estimate and then try to generate an average. You can try to find the boundaries, but at the same point, it's going to be a guess where it's less. What really makes it a guess is that in poker, the times that you're going to do this the most are situations where you're shot taking. Right. So you want to figure, figure out the Kelly criteria of how much exposure can I take in this 1K, 2K game when I'm only rolled to play 200, 400. Right. And just inherently for most, 
there's going to be some form of overestimization of what the win rate actually is because you're shot taking in the first place. Correct. Right, because now you're playing a game you're not normally playing because the spot is so good you can't pass it up, which means your win rate has to be higher, which means you need to have more of yourself in order for it to be worth it. But at the same time, you might be overestimating and fuck yourself. You're almost certainly overestimating because the way win rate works is it's not linear in nature. I'm just being nice. Yeah, well, well two things happen. It's not linear and it's not exponential. It's, it's kind of the opposite. There's a, a, a diminishing return. As, uh, as win rate starts to increase past a certain degree, right? So if your natural win rate is, uh, I, I don't know, um, say, yeah, I don't even really know how to like properly quantify this, but like say you have some edge in a game, right? Like you have a 10% edge over the field or you have an expected 10% ROI. When uh, there's an influx of, let's say we're talking tournaments, right? So you play a tournament field, uh, a normal 10K, and let's say 20% of it is recreational money and you have a 10% ROI. And now you go play the WSOP main event. And let's say now there's four times as many recreational. So 40% of the field is now recreational money. You don't have a 40% ROI necessarily. Right. No. Right? No. And uh, this may not even be the proper demonstration because I'm giving you ROIs that are so small that it's reasonable that you actually might have greater than a 40% ROI in the main event, right? Mm -hmm. But if we say like you have a 100% ROI in a 10K, you certainly don't. Don't have a 400%. Right, right. Yeah. There, there's a point where there's a drop off and mm -hmm. a diminishing return type yeah. of, of scenario where it's like, okay, well, it sounds like you're probably one of the best 10K players in the world and the best 10K player in the world certainly has a high ROI in the main event. Right. But the variance of there being such a large field, yeah. of there being so much recreational play, right. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, means that you're probably just going to be capped out at whatever the ceiling is right. for ROIs. Like nobody can have a 10,000% ROI. Well, that's, in, that's in kind of the main idea, right, is that there is a ceiling, yeah. and that's finite. Yes. Like, yeah. There is a number. Like, like if it was just you and 7,000 recreationals, you don't suddenly you have... You win the tournament X thousand percent of the time. Right. You don't right. suddenly have a 1,000 or right. 2,000 or 10,000 percent ROI, right? Like, you just have a high ROI. You have a high ROI, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's like... Uh, the Kelly criteria then starts to to break down a little bit because you know the 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 biggest asset that this formula offers us is uh, for sports betters like like Henry was saying it allows them a formulaic approach to risk and we desperately need that as human beings because we're naturally risk averse and those of us who are not that are very risk on uh, overdo it. Right, we we just we just press and press and press until eventually we ruin ourselves, and that's something that also kind of uh, that that that's a corollary to the gambler's ruin. Right, it's the idea of the uh, the parallel to the gambler's ruin is the Martingale system, where if you are able to bet infinite and you have an infinite bankroll to do so, you will have a very 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 small edge realized. Right, so people think the Martingale system is a way to like beat the house for a large number. It's actually not. It's just a way to ensure that you lose the minimum. Mm -hmm. or, or not, sorry, not lose the minimum, but like, yeah, broke. Uh, yes, th th that your risk is actually reduced to zero. Well, theoretically, you can't go broke because you have infinite money. Correct. You're, you're, but, but your risk is actually zero if the cap is lifted because you'll always be able to put in the next bet. Right. And that will always have a positive ROI. Uh, but that ROI is so, so, like, it, it, it trends towards zero the larger the bet scale. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Right? That's why at roulette tables, they have like max bets. And that's yeah, they all, every, every, yeah, every uh, floor game has a max bet. Right, so right, you right. can't do that. Yeah. Right. But infinite, infinite bet, yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bezos comes in and tries to just get that like half a half a percent. He's locked in. <laughs> so <laughs> Slamming the bet button. 
So the reason why I mentioned the Martingale system is because uh, scenarios like this will actually present in-game. Uh, and I think what happened at Live at the Bike is a pretty great example of uh, gambler's ruin kind of in isolation, in, a, in a, uh, a vacuum scenario, so to speak, right? So uh, I have a bankroll. I have an amount of money that I live off of, that I play off of, and all this other stuff. It's not the same amount that I take with me when I travel to LA, right? I'm on a fixed income whenever I go there. Now, of course, there's some borrowing power, but even that's restricted because everybody's playing in a big game and everybody needs some level of liquidity available to them, right? right. You don't just have what you want. Right. So uh, when I was invited to the game, it was 100 or 200, but I knew that I, I, I'm not an idiot. I, I knew and was prepared to play a much larger game because Eric Persons was involved. And we can understand that like the game is going to tend to play bigger. Yeah. Now the requirements were that it was a 200K minimum buy-in. So I took 400K, or I took 300 and I borrowed 100. So I had basically had two buy-ins. But if the blinds remain at 1-2, 1-2-4, or even just 2-4 with an ante, whatever, that's pretty reasonable. Like 10 buy-ins at 200, 400, or uh, you know, basically 16 hours of play over two days, uh, your risk of ruin there, assuming you have like a reasonable edge, is going to be very low. Right, like that's going to, mm-hmm. I, without having run the Kelly criteria, I'm I'm probably able to take uh, a pretty aggressive piece of myself in this scenario. Um, this is assuming the min binds not 200k. What? Like you're saying, if you have 400k with you and you're playing one two four, oh, your risk is obviously higher whenever you're sitting with this much, but right. it's still difficult to just put in a thousand big blinds. Right. I'm coming from this in from the stance that if you were playing a hundred big blinds deep and had 10 buy-ins that's way different than sitting it, with it he would have a, the risk of ruin would be a lot less if that was the that's case but it's still I'm, it's still yeah. a lot less just sitting with the 200 it's, it's, and having a thousand big blinds I, I, compared to sitting with i would imagine that the risk of ruin isn't very different uh the variance is just different the variance on 100 big blinds versus the variance on a thousand big blinds mm-hmm. it, yeah. it just comes down to strategy with yeah. the difference in variance the risk of ruin doesn't change I'm saying that there's very high variance when you're sitting 100 blinds deep. There's also a high variance. And, well, there's variance not, should lessen the deeper you get. If you're getting stacked, potentially, but like yeah. if you get nuts versus second nuts, where like you just can't find a fold, right? And now you just have, you lose a gigapot. Yeah, those, that doesn't happen. those scenarios present themselves, but like they're, A, it's difficult for all the money to go in, mm-hmm. even nuts versus second nuts. And B, uh, you know, that's that's just like, fringe variant scenarios that, that most most pots are going to fall within a standard distribution of, of amount of big blinds put in. The only reason why I say something like that is because under normal constraints, I would agree, but then with sizes being way different in a live arena, especially when games play bigger, yeah. it's definitely a lot easier for the money to go in than what looks to be like in a thousand big blinds. But that, that actually ramps up the variance when you're 100 blinds effective too. When fold equity is reduced and uh, stack-off thresholds are lessened, right? Think of it this way. Uh, if the stack-off threshold at 100 big blinds is comparable to the stack-off threshold at 50 big blinds, is the variance greater than or less than a normal 100 big blind game? The variance in itself would be less, right? For the 100, like if you, if you have 100 big blinds, but the stack-off threshold's the same. Uh, oh shit, sorry, it'd be, it'd be greater because you're, you're putting in more money. Correct. Yeah. So when sizes ramp up, and 100 big blinds are effectively fewer practical big blinds than they would be if sizes were smaller, variance is going to increase. 
right? Man, it it's weird. I think maybe I'm thinking about it wrong, but like if you see it as like having ten buy-ins, right, where you're sitting with a hundred big blinds ten times. So if you lose an all-in, you now like reload and have nine buy-ins. Yeah. Where if you sit with you sit with five hundred and you have two of those, and you get into a spot where you're all in for five hundred, where in the normal situation, like those those stack off thresholds are different. You're not playing bigger pots when you are all in. Yeah, but you're you're just you're you're thinking about it. Uh, you're trying to apply a long term view to a short term scenario. The, what's the what's what's the probability that that happens twice over two five hundred big blind buy ins? I mean. If it was anything like the WPT cash game, like ch chips just flew, right? Right, but like what I'm like saying is like stand what's, up games involved, people trying to put more money in. You're you're not answering my question. I'm saying what's you you present something very specific and then you you drift off into something far less. Uh, I'm saying what is the likelihood of nuts versus second nuts happening twice when your 500 big blinds effective? Nuts is relative. I mean that in this instance is very rare, right? Right. That's but, that's the point. But nuts and stack off thresholds versus people that are playing more hands become wider sure. than nuts versus second Sure, nuts. but if you reduced it now to having 10 100 big blind buy-ins, the same would hold true. You would be all in all the time. Yeah. The variance is comparable. Mm. It's high. It's just high in both scenarios. So you would rather sit with two buy-ins of 500 bigs than I, I think my win rate is bigs. higher. I think my win rate is higher with two buy-ins of 500 bigs, but I think my ability to play the entire 16 hours is lower. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Is I was thinking if you had called 10 buy-ins of 100 bigs, it's more likely that you're going to see You'll the long-term. Yes, agreed. Okay. Would that mean your but risk of ruin is, is higher? Um, Slightly higher? May, it's tough to say. Prob yeah. Probably not, because you're winning so much more money in theory, whenever you're deeper, right? You're risking more. You're risking more in the near term. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, maybe, but maybe because like this you is don't... kind of we're off on a, like a side thing. Here. It's, like, it's hard to main... theory craft these things right. in real time. Right. The the main point <laughs> I think you were trying to make is that um, is is that like with the playing at uh, playing the, with those stakes at two four is going to be much different than playing those stakes at. Of five thousand. Well, that that that's too. what it ultimately comes down right. to when I'm talking about like uh, kind of martingaling it, so to speak. Uh, and this this plays back to what Landon was saying. So uh, now, if we run the same comparison where the blinds are doubling every couple of hours, right? Uh, your risk of ruin is continually increasing, right? So it'd be like running a Kelly criteria calculator or calculation for certain levels of MTTs, right? So whether I sat with whether my 200,000 was uh, all in play or only going to be in play 20K at a time, uh, if the blinds are continually escalating, the variance is going to escalate right alongside with it. Right. Right. So if I have 20K in front of me and we're playing 100, 200, and then two hours later, we're playing 248, well, now I suddenly only have 30 big blinds. Right. And if I have 200K in front of me, what was once 1,000 big blinds is now 300 big blinds. Yeah. You can think of it as like, uh, every every single person in a tournament r reaches risk of ruin at some point, Correct. except one person. Correct, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, where that changes is if you have infinite money, right? right. So if you're the person pressing and trying to continually escalate mm -hmm. the blinds, right. in this instance, it was Persons mm -hmm. and uh, Andy, and the reason is because they have the most liquidity available mm -hmm. to them. Right. It's funny because when 
people that don't really know poker that well sometimes hit you with the, but don't you not want to play with them because they just have more money than you are kind of right in yeah. very extreme yeah. situations. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. Because this is one of those extreme mm -hmm. situations where the people with all of the money will be able to realize. So it's a give and take. It's a give edge. and take because on one hand, Eric is uh, offering, like he's distributing the largest amount of EV to the table. Yeah. So, so he's gambling. Right. So our win rate is increasing uh, exponentially based off the fact that he's in the game. And there's a fixed time limit. It's not infinite. Correct. Uh, but, but what he, well, there's a fixed time limit anyway because we can't afford to play infinite. Right. I just mean like there's 16 hours and you're going home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're just going to stay there forever, maybe he kind of does have it. Uh, well, okay. So this is what this thread really exemplifies. And I think it does a great job of it. So it breaks it down into a very practical scenario. And it says, uh, I like the thing of Gambler's Ruin similar to the David and Goliath battle. And uh, in this instance, David is the quote-unquote small player. And he only has a limited amount of resources. But he's very skilled. Uh, he's pitted against Goliath, who is the quote-unquote big player, who has many more resources, but far less skill. The battle between David and Goliath rages on for several rounds. Each round has a quote-unquote winner, either David or Goliath. David, because of his superior skill, has a higher probability of winning any individual round. Right. That's David's advantage over Goliath. But because of the size asymmetry between the players, the loss of a round impacts David more than it does Goliath. And that's what we saw here at Live the Bike. When I lose, I'm out. I'm eliminated. When Eric loses, he reloads. So he gets to play more rounds, right? And even though he may be playing those rounds at a negative skill edge, he still gets to play enough of them to recoup his losses. Right. When I lose, my positive skill edge is now vanquished, right? Uh, it's done. It's zero because I'm out of the game completely. And that is like the great leveler here. So um, he breaks this down into a practical example. He says, let's take an example. Suppose David brings $2,000 to the table and Goliath brings 10. Uh, at the start of the game, Goliath's bankroll is 5x David's. That's his size advantage, Okay. Uh, offsetting this, David has a skill advantage. So let's say that he wins any one, any one particular round 55% of the time to Goliath's 45%. So he has a 10% skill edge. Pretty significant. Why are you cringing? I mean, it's significant, but for all intents and purposes, it's not like you're going to be able to see the end goal, like the end result of like stacking Goliath I mean, enough, right? Well, that's, that's the point of the math, but right. like a 10% skill edge it's in a, lot. In, no, in a gambling a lot. environment is massive. Yeah. Right. Massive. Uh, like you You're die crazy. for these types of edges. Yeah, right. sure. Casinos um, have like a one per, one to one one to two percent edge. Yeah, empires right. have like, been built off less like yeah. smaller edges than that. Correct. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he says, let's say each round costs the loser a thousand dollars. So for David, he's risking half of his bankroll anytime that he plays a round. This is where the cringe came in. For Goliath, <laughs> he play he's risking ten percent of his bankroll anytime that uh that they sit down. So with these rules, we can see that Goliath only needs two rounds to go in his favor in order to wipe out David. Now, uh, there's a caveat to this because that's not entirely true. That's only true of the first two rounds. Right, because if David wins, he now has more, more no, has of a great. chance Nine. to put his yeah. edge in play. But in poker, it's different because the money stays on the table. Correct. But where this does matter is for David to wipe out Goliath, he has to win 10 more rounds. And so that's the uh, qualifying language that was left out of this. What actually, what he meant to say was Goliath needs to win two more rounds than David in order to wipe him out. Right. Uh, David needs to win 10 more rounds than Goliath in order to wipe him out. 
uh, and that therein lies the gambler's ruined puzzle. Now, in poker, we don't care about wiping each other out, specifically in cash, right? <laughs> so I don't need to win 10 more rounds than Eric in order to show a profit. I just need to win more rounds than Eric. Um, but basically, like when you break this equation down, what you'll see is that uh, if you play long enough, I'll lose two rounds in a row at some point. Yeah. Right? And as long as that happens... Uh, Sorry, I'll lose two more rounds. Right. I was going to say the theoretical rounds. and Well, because there is a difference between being a capped and yeah. uncapped losses, right? Yeah. Just inherently. Like, you can win X amount more hands than Eric, but he beats you and, like, he cools you for and stacks you, you're out. Right? You wins one game. Yeah. Instead of winning two well, more. Well, that's the other thing. In poker, it's not fixed to... Right. Right. Right? As long as he covers. Yeah. I could be wiped out at any given point. Right. That's kind of where I was cringing. But as as... So if you win early, though... As you get deeper, uh, your skill edge is much more realized throughout the duration, right? Yeah. So if you turn 200 into 500 and he's turned 1 million into 800, uh, your risk of ruin has now decreased. Well, we can assume, well, it depends on like what you have the assumption of Goliath's role is, right? Because at some point, if you have Goliath at a fixed role, he then is the one that gets wiped and then you can't lose anymore because he's gone. Right, you know I mean? but but even in this scenario, like Goliath is kind of represented by the field, where uh, you know Eric and Andy are kind of the top dogs because they have the most amount of liquidity. Sure. Uh, but like as you increase your liquidity in front of you, and there's decreases, uh, you start to cover more of the field. Yeah. So you become more of the Goliath than David. Right. right? You absorb the Goliath position. Right. What you can't afford to do though is uh take on any sort of negative variance early on in the session which forces you to play a different strategy it forces you to uh to take on different amounts of risk which will inherently decrease edge or no yes yes for sure for sure and that's that's the bigger point or bigger conversation that i think we were trying to have is from the outside looking in you get invited to the game to a game like this where you can afford to take on a certain amount of risk Right. And, uh, you know, like I budgeted to take on the risk of playing a 200, 400, 800 game where I'm like properly rolled to play, I don't know, one, two ish, one, two plus, we'll call it. Yeah. Right. Generous. So uh, I basically took a piece of uh, like a two, four, eight game uh, and, and, you know, fractioned it down. But I didn't, I obviously didn't fraction it down because the game is really good. I expect myself to have a high win rate. Right, so I didn't fraction it down to the stakes that I'm comfortable playing. Like, let's say for for right. all intent and purposes that uh, my role was suited for 100, 200. Well, when you get invited to a juicy game, you don't play 100, 200 stakes just because that's what your bankroll dictates. You know, right. if you look at Cali criteria, you could be very aggressive. You can maybe play two, three, or four x the uh, stakes that you're properly rolled for. So I positioned myself to take that big of a piece. Well, now we end up playing 1k, 2k. Right. right? So now I'm massively overexposed. Right. The higher your edge, the higher risk you can take. Yes, that's point. that's the trick here, though. Right, is that the edge is not so much more than you believe it to be, right? Because your risk of ruin is so incredibly well, high. Because now, let's say you ex you think you're accepting a 100 to 200 game, but you're playing a 10k, 20k game, where you have like call it 10 bigs or right. whatever. Right. Where it's like now, sure, you winning in the game, yeah, theoretically, but now you have 10 bigs. Maybe your edge might be reduced down to like one percent. Yeah. It's difficult to have a huge edge at 10 big blinds versus a thousand big blinds. Can we talk about? leaving the game and, uh, and why poker players don't do that because you and i have like obviously in done, a sense of done just, this to a f to ourselves a few times now 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had the like. option to not play day two, right. knowing that I only had one buy-in. Right. Um, and you know, just speaking with like the the people I sell my action to and everything else is like none of us wanted to pass on the spot too good. Right. Uh, we just accept that we're going to get ruined a lot, right? Yeah. And you know, it, it may not necessarily always be the most uh, financially prudent decision, but if it doesn't truly ruin you in life, then um, there are risks worth taking. Uh, the the cautionary tale, I guess, that you're alluding to and that I'm trying to kind of point out is that we can't forecast the future. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes very difficult to look beyond the opportunities being presented to you right now and think that you'll have a better one in the future, right? So I overexposed myself to this game because it was a very good opportunity and a chance to make a lot of money in the near term, right? Um, but because I wasn't conservative, I may have potentially thwarted myself from playing a, a good high stakes game in the future. Now that's probably not true, but uh, at some point it does become true. At some point you take on too much risk to the degree where now you're invited to play a 501k game and in order for you to play, you need to find a way to get free rolled. I'm thinking more so the, the upside of taking that spot, the, the downside of going broke in that spot. Right. Yes, that's that's relevant. Depending on life outside of the that, game. That's the point is the, well, the yeah. going broke part is it's not finite when we're talking about like executing some level of bankroll management. Of course. Or just access to outside investing after the fact, right? Like yeah. you might go broke or whatever and like now... But be you, able to replenish. Exactly. Right. And I think you and I are coming from a place where it's like, especially like you are in a different scenario than I am now. You're kind of where I was 10 years ago where it's like when you're taking shots and you're overexposing yourself, like you legitimately may not be able to pay rent in a month or two. And that's the future consideration that you have to make, right? Where it's like, what I'm actually talking about is more so, uh, you still have this stable foundation of wealth, but now all of a sudden, instead of being rolled to play like 200, 400, right. you're rolled to play like 50, 100. Right. And now you have to dilute your future earnings uh, based off the fact that you can't play as high of stakes as you were previously. Or like your floor in general for cost of living is low enough that you still have that covered and still have the ability to play the same stakes adjacently anyways, right? But now you have to do it through like a backing deal or through some other sort of way, but you have your stable life things set, right? Because right? like there's a difference between functionally broke. Well, like there's, we always, there's always a sacrifice if you're still playing the same stakes and you're giving up more equity. Right. So you're not playing the same stakes. No, but at the same time, you're not also worrying about rent. Yeah. So it's a different kind yeah, yeah. of broke, right? Because we talked about the functionally broke versus just yeah. actual broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, broke adjacent I, right well it, we we use these we use these loaded terms but like broke <laughs> is actually like an improper term for what we're talking about uh what we're actually talking about is scale right so you're at a certain level of scale when you decide to take this shot and if you over risk right scale you, reduction you you run the yeah you run the risk of having to reduce your scale and that goes all the way to zero so like even if you have 30k and you risk 25 of it in a game and go broke or or, or you know Go, <laughs> go scare reducted yeah yeah right like now all of a sudden uh your your future earnings may be the equivalency of broke because that five thousand dollars may not actually trans transfer into any sort of win rate right right now your risk of ruin is so incredibly high uh moving forward that you can't really fundamentally play any stakes yeah on your own Right, we're, we're barring the assumption that you cannot get money from outside right. sources or like things of that nature. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, correct. Um, Which 
fortunately, like in your your case, Henry's case, like that yeah. wouldn't be low key, low key. We're doing this entire podcast for the benefit of Conrad. Uh, <laughs> yo, yo, hey, yo. Conrad. everyone, just relax. I learned I learned the gamer's fallacy. You know, did you? I learned what goes on here, and that's why you know. I, well, I that's fun. good because we're not talking about the fucking gambler's fallacy, Conrad. <laughs> uh, what are you I, talking about? Gambler's Ruin, which I've probably sent you articles oh, on yeah. this no fewer than 10 times, and you have money again. That's what I meant to say. Gambler's Ruin, same thing. Man. Right. That's why he looks like he's in a ruined place, and we're here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of having a little bit of fun with him, but I, I have actually had this conversation with him a bunch, and it's a byproduct of, like, personally having learned the hard way and still going through it. Like, Henry's, Henry's point is very valid, right? It's like, why not make better decisions when you're in this spot? And I think largely what it comes down to is the inability to project the future, right? Like when you're in that exact moment, even though I knew I was overexposed going into day two and I could have laid off more, I was already previously overexposed and got whacked the day before, number one. So you were so, two. So I'm, no, but I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well played, well played. I know, because I thought that he was kind of like, Stop well, it's less of a chance it's going to happen this time. That's Rich coming from uh, you. Well played, well played, Landon. Okay. I hate uh, everything about you. We'll give, we'll give him that one. Uh, no, but it's, uh, I'm making an irrational emotional decision, obviously. So that's, that's partly on me. But uh, secondarily, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, if, if you do run the math and understand that like maybe you uh, go broke in this in this second session, call it 65% of the time, uh, what then does that do to the future, right? And it's like, well, if you just look at it and say like, well, I played 30 sessions of cash this year. The average stake that I played was like 100, 200. If that's my expectation moving forward, then this will have no impact, right? Mm -hmm. But what you don't, what you don't foresee is that a WPT 1K, 2K cash game pops up and there's a seat. Mm. Right, you are risking future game. Right. I guess you, you almost have to add in the probability of the future... Um, you the, you the, sort like, of take stock of the yeah. possibility of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the future opportunity. It's weird because like... And, but how do you quantify Right, that? it's weird. You should consider, you should consider the future uh, earning power of your remaining bankroll. Mm -hmm. Um... And you should do that, you know, based off of an aggregate of what right. you expect to play. Yeah. It's almost impossible to forecast the outliers. Right. It, yeah. It's like, almost impossible to know how many of those 10x stakes you're going to get to play throughout the next year, two years, three years. Well, because we sort of know at this point, so to speak, like how many other games of like the WPT 1K2 came are running. Yeah. Right. You know, like... But I, I, but like I sometimes I feel like you you look at it like well you don't know so you said you should just you should take this shot now whereas you could look at the other side and say well yeah you don't know but maybe it's way more than you expect so maybe you shouldn't take the shot right now. The reason to not take the conservative approach is because each time that thinking that, like a tortoise. Correct, but each time that each time that opportunity is presented to you, you still have the exact same gambler ruin uh, equation the to next deal time. with. Yeah. Right. What about, what about the time investment though to rebuild? like you have to take that into consideration that's also true point. too right because like if you recall <laughs> when i decided to play that french businessman heads up mm -hmm. and then espen afterwards was like well like, like why didn't you uh just auto book or like put put some stuff like or message people to take some of the risk off of you because now you have to rebuild back at 510 when you don't have access to these 50 100 game spots so it's like well the time the time investment that's going to take you 
is now going to cost you the better part of six months or eight months or however long it is to, to rebuild, which is exactly what happened. I had to like spend eight months rebuilding. What yeah, I lost yeah, yeah. In the, Sorry, you, that that's pointing out uh, the the fatal flaw in in taking the opportunity uh, that I was trying to to get to. Whenever you're considering uh, overall bankroll earning potential moving forward, right. But what I'm saying is, if it doesn't if it doesn't harm if you're if you're being responsible enough to where it won't harm your current stake level. Uh, the harm is actually coming from scale opportunities, right? Right. So, like, yes, that Espen's right in your case because you put so much risk on the line that you have to reduce in scale, mm-hmm. right? And you have to now drop stakes by you know many many degrees. Mm-hmm. But if you're putting out a certain level of risk, where like you'll still have access to the current games that you play, maybe you have to give up a smaller piece. Maybe you have to play like seventy five percent of the current stakes that you're you, you've been playing or whatever but your future earning potential isn't harmed that much. Right, you decrease your floor slightly, where it's like instead of having half in a game, you have 40%. Right. What you actually want to look at, though, is like future opportunities of like the softest spots, the outliers, the, the, the path-altering scenarios. Right. And those are almost impossible to project. And the reason why Brian was saying like, well, why not consider it in a way where like maybe you get way more of those spots than you otherwise uh, could anticipate. And the reason being is because it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're afforded one opportunity to play 10x the stakes that you usually play or 100 opportunities to play 10x the stakes that you usually play. Uh, with accordance to the money that you're operating with, you will still face a very high degree of ruin if you don't lay off all of the risk, right? Yeah. So like, if you have 100 opportunities, the, the true corrective measure there is to figure out a way for somebody else to finance it. Right, you find a way to be able to have like more in some other. You find company. a way to be able to take all hundred opportunities. You find uh, outside investment. Yeah, right. It would be the idea in this yeah. situation. You have to you have to reach scale whenever uh, the volume is available, right? right? But if you don't have the funding to do so, then somebody needs to fill that void for you. Right, because now, right, if you're if you have call it five hundred k as a total bankroll, and you have a hundred opportunities to play, now you have to figure out how to appropriately use that to see the long term right. which inherently turn... will decrease your overall Correct. investment in each game Correct. right so yeah if i had a chance to play that exact game a hundred times right i would have taken less risk because right? and you also know that you now have that in in the realm of reality right you don't know these things and you can never know these right. things as a pro right, right right like you can't just create a game well it, a good example, personally, was getting uh, the opportunity to play in Ivy's room for, right. for over half a decade. That's right? what I was kind of thinking about. Uh, the very first time I played, I had 80% of myself in a game where I was properly rolled to play like 50-100. And we were playing 2-4. So it was... <laughs> Scary already. Yeah. Uh, sort of. I mean, it's, it's not going to... I'm still going to be rolled to play 50-100 if I, if I miss, right? Like, I took... So at the time, I think I had a half a million dollars. And I took... Uh, we're playing two four, so I took eighty k, and I kept uh, like I think I kept fifty k worth of of the exposure. Mm-hmm. Well, if I have four hundred fifty k the next day, I'm mm-hmm. still very rolled to play fifty a hundred. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, it didn't yeah. change anything. Um, yeah. But if I win one hundred and fifty k, now all of a sudden I can shot you know take. comfortably shot take yeah, a little yeah. bit more. Right, you're you're increasing your scalability without decreasing much of the downside. Right, but I also thought it was a one one time opportunity. Right, right, right. The second I got invited back. I took less. So now I took like half of myself the next time. She's like, whoa, I might be able to get to play again. Right. And now I need to be responsible. Right. The third time I got invited back, it was like, okay, 
I have to hard stop now. Right. It's like, okay, you're a staple. No. Whether I'm a staple or not, this opportunity is clearly at least here. Right. And I need to ensure that I'm not putting myself on the line to get whacked if I play right. the game 10 times. Right, if you don't times. adjust, you're just going to be ruined. That's Gambler's Ruin there it in is. a nutshell, yeah. right? Now, now he's texted mm. the WhatsApp group chat saying, boys, we're locked in. This we're, in. <laughs> we're in. I went way over you guys. And then the boy, I, and then the boy, I, wish, <laughs> I wish I knew you at, at my age, man. <laughs> the boy's like, hold up, let him cook. He's in Ivy's room. Let's he's go. He's in the game, boys. He's locked <laughs> in. I would love to have known a young Matt Burke. Berkey no. at 27, Listen, this is why the, 200, 400. He knew. I knew. Like, I watched Berkey go broke so many times. <laughs> because, but no, because he just had... No, because, so based. No, but it's true because he literally just had it on the line all the time. And he's like, well, why would I not play with all of it? I have a skill edge. But at the time, he didn't understand gambling this, ruin. This, this is me. And that's eventually, you're just going to get got. This yeah. is me in 13 years' time. You said it yesterday on the pod. You're like... You will never be rich, Henry. You are like me. <laughs> and now the more I get to know Matt Berkey and the more I hear stories like this, I'm starting to connect the dots. I'm like, yeah. shit. Maybe this is me at yeah, 40. Yeah. What's it's, it? I don't know. Bro, not, I have to tell you, so I'm bad. insanely happy. But <laughs> why are you happy? Uh, because the Steelers might make the playoffs, baby. Woo! He knows. This guy gets it. So, so, so it. here's the similarities. We both got friends that crush. Mm -hmm. So like Espen, Jonas... Dan O'Brien, and then there's just He's me and you, yeah. who are just like still shot taking, baby. We're out here putting it all well, on I mean, the line. I mean, you know? to be like, fair, <laughs> we're, we're either spinning up to a million or we're sleeping on the couch. There's no fucking in between. I mean, to be fair, I I did reduce my risk a lot once I came into some wealth, but I do agree with you, not enough. Uh, I <laughs> It'll still never be enough. right. Like I I still obviously have taking on way too much risk and over-invested in what I believe to be a skill. But uh, the reason why I say like, A, you'll never be rich and B, uh, <laughs> speak for yourself. Well, man. I am speaking rich for myself. Rich is a relative term. I am speaking for myself, but B, uh, that you'll be insanely happy is because uh, in my experience, from what I've seen around me, uh, both interpersonally and, you know, at scale with the world at large, what it takes to be fuck you rich like literally have fuck you money are things that i personally am not willing to do mm. uh, examples I, I think that there are a lot of examples where there's uh, a, an easy amount of money to grab uh where you delve into the moral gray right and personally okay. like i just don't want that okay. i don't want that on my conscience like i think covid was a great example i i think we easily could have made mid seven figures if not more uh maybe maybe even like you know well eight figures seems like a lot to but i think like mid seven figures is very reasonable over that 18 month to two year period where everybody was just on lockdown right uh just running games like literally i every game runner i know just got giga rich during covid um but like you know for me i i just don't want to do that because there are things that i believe in ethically in this game that were outside of my control if i were going to do that there's no way to ensure a secure gaming environment. There's no way to ensure people are being cheated. There's no way to ensure that collusion isn't taking place. There's no way to ensure that you won't get rolled, that uh, you know your name won't get tarnished and dragged and all this other shit. And to me, that stuff was worth more than taking on the risk for a ton of money. But for people who want to be fuck you rich, this is a no brainer. There is no risk involved. It's literally just a means of hustling up and leveraging your platforms to accumulate customers. Mm -hmm. uh, so like that's like one primary example. Uh, others are basically like, you know, in order to get fuck you rich, 
you have to start uh, kind of at a, a remedial entry level spot where you're getting somebody else fuck you richer, right? So you need to be you need to uh, be very well networked with people who already have tons and tons of capital to employ uh, and uh, hope that they'll invest in you. And to be fair, this is what I did in the Ivy's Room game, right? I I did build relationships like that and I did leverage other people's worth and you know made them money and I made money along the way and things of that nature but uh I I think it becomes very difficult to scale ethically once you start to get outside of I, let's call it a spade a spade like playing nosebleeds poker is very very peanuts compared to playing in the the real world right you know when you're talking about the finance industry talking the, about billions of dollars yeah yeah, yeah. you're talking unlimited yeah. unlimited money <laughs> yeah you, right. you start to talk like <laughs> tech. Right. you start to talk like tech real estate finance uh you know all these big big player arenas and uh you're dealing with like a lot of those money grab scenarios that i just presented yeah poker small that are you know somewhat unethical you gotta be cutthroat for sure yeah. it's like you know how much money people are making off of like section 8 housing uh yeah. and, and you know maybe there's nothing wrong with that i don't know i haven't really delved into the ethics of it but it's like the first thing that gravitates to my mind because my sister lives in section 8 housing and you know she gets slum lorded all the time and the places are just like barely fit for living but this person's cashing an 800 dollars check absolute minimum requirement correct because yeah, yeah. they don't care right because they're right. just getting the money from the government right yeah, they're doing it by the book in their mind that so that's how they justify right. yeah, it we yeah. don't know exactly all situations yeah, yeah, yeah. it's within the rules of the game i'm just playing the game <clears throat> right yeah, don't hate the player. That, that the opportunity is presented. Yeah, I personally struggle to like uh, to to like game systems for my benefit in order to get wealthy, and maybe that's like a, a fundamental personal flaw. But uh, we all have it, le it leaves me very happy. And also, I think I, I I I think I generally take like some level of um, enjoyment out of playing life on hard mode, which is, is a terrible trait. Mm. But well, define hard mode. I mean, I don't have a retirement fund. Maserati. I don't have a 401k. I don't have, uh, you know, I don't have security for when I'm an old man and decrepit. I'm just hoping that you and my nephew are going to be <laughs> well enough off. That's that, uh, pool in the backyard. Uh, uh, if you really are a gambler and you're going to get ruined. <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if the Steelers win the Super Bowl, it's all worth it. Yeah, the Steelers win the Super Bowl, you're set for life. Yeah, basically. With your $2,500. <laughs> basically. It's true. Moving up stakes. You know who's gonna save me? It's gonna be Conrad. Yep. Yeah. That would be Conrad's the real. That would be the real heel turn, right? My, my Lord and Savior, Conrad mm -hmm. Simpson. He's gonna right be looking at after me when I'm sixty-five right time, years old. Yeah. Right at the time you go completely broke, flat on your ass, that's when Conrad hits it big, and he's like, "Here's your tab money, buddy. You're back." <laughs> and the tab money is just generational wealth, like <laughs> ten figures. And then all of a sudden, you owe Conrad a tab. Right. Yeah. Well, no, then he got his tab back. He'll be still be giga rich. Everyone's happy. Everyone's Con happy. Conrad just signs over like ten percent of "Let's Get It Poppin' Ink" to me. Right. L G I P I N C. <laughs> Oh, man. I, think I, need, I need to trademark that. You do. You can make it an LLC, so it'll be the LGIP INC LLC. <laughs> no, you can't incorporate and be an LLC. He can do whatever I he wants. He's unlimited. Uh, yeah, unlimited. Sure. <laughs> There's a Jeez. Russell Wilson joke in there for sure somewhere. Yeah. I just I yeah. can't find it. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, I, I think oh, they cut him. They, they waved actually, him. They didn't wave him. I thought they waved him. No. No, they benched him. 
They didn't Bro, do anything. They can't wave him. That's I so much money. Or did he get hurt? I, I, thought I don't think a... he played last game. Yes, he did. He did played he? well. He definitely played. They almost beat the Chiefs. Yeah. Oh, I was, thinking of the week be, I was thinking of the week before. Uh, he, no, the, he got hurt. He got hurt. Yeah, he had a concussion. Yeah, yeah, they got blown out by, uh, was it the Rams? They lost like 50-something to... Oh, God, yes. Yeah. He, yeah. No, I don't oh, think I, yeah. it was a meme. Yeah. I got memed on. You got me. <laughs> They got me. <laughs> You're the king of the memes. You I know. should know better. Yeah, I, you can't get got like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like when there's like a sports talk meme. There's like a sports talk account, like a sports talk Joey, or sports talk Barry, or whatever. But mm. adjacent to that, sure. where it's like a this had a caption that said the Broncos have waved Russell you, Wilson. You know what? You know they what is? Me. You know what is certain to be true? Well, I guess there's a little bit of a sweat coming in the week seven or week eighteen. But I like the side of him still having more bathrooms than touchdowns thrown. Mm. How many touchdowns does he have? I don't know what he's up to now. Mm. More, uh, do you say more bathrooms? He has more bathrooms. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a a, a thread. This guy started this meme where where like he was tracking the number of touchdowns, and he would do it every week till he got to the number of bathrooms he has in his house, which I think is twelve. And he's like still doing it. He thought he'd be done after like week, you know. That's five hilarious. Or six or seven. <clears throat> That's let's, let's let's take a quick peek. That's here. great content. It is it's fantastic content. We need uh, to get better at memeing like that in the poker industry. How, how many how many tournaments do you think X player is going to win compared to bathrooms in the house? Mm. So he's tied. He's, he's 12, 12 touchdowns. There you go. <laughs> he needs one more. He's, he's, he's got a week to do it. He plays very well against the Chiefs. Four, well, it's four a, of his 12 touchdowns are against the, Broncos. the Chiefs. Yeah, it's not the Chiefs. It's also, it's yeah, it's it's also a rivalry. It's like that. those things happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's what we can meme on. How long until the current world champion wins another tournament? That's it's been, been six months. Jesus, what's he doing? Well, he's living the life, man. He's not out there grinding yeah, on the streets. He's, he's busy going to nice dinners and stuff. Yeah. He's got to get back on the grind. I don't know. Let's nice go. dinner sounds... Yeah, I feel like sometimes. he'll probably just win PCA. Yeah. Uh, don't. Oh. No. Yeah, it just no. walks in now. Yeah, I feel like he's probably just going to win PCA. Probably. <laughs> All right, he's going to come second to Conrad. Imagine. Right, oh, Conrad, you can win PSPC. Oh, yeah, that works. That's better. I like that. That's yeah, I nice. got you, man. I'm looking out. <laughs> I'm looking out for you guys. Uh, all right. We, we don't really have anything else to talk about. I think we've well good. fleshed out Grambler's Ruin. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Let, let us know in the uh, comment section below if you guys want more of this strat talk like this. Uh, my plan is to do this on Tuesdays. I'm hopeful to do... Uh, you know, kind of like story time with Uncle Burke on Thursdays, a little throwback <laughs> Thursday to uh, to, to pre-Black Friday days. Um, we send bail money. <laughs> somebody get Conrad out of Hawk. <laughs> He's in the back room of a of a, a pawn shop somewhere trying to get. Section eight. <laughs> Bro, why you gotta why you gotta be like that? Uh, so yeah, we're gonna we're Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're gonna have these uh, kind of kind of segments. Uh, set out for you guys hopefully if you enjoy them you can let us know a little bit in the comment section please as always like comment subscribe let us know what you like let us know what you'd like to change thank you as always to Mr. Kill the Game Bane out here in these streets we have him for a couple more weeks before he heads back to Europe never to be seen or heard from again never coming back cancelled by Eurorag in Vegas no, R.I.P. Didn't, didn't get my green card man R.I.P. Oh, to I, find a nice lady here I, I could guess somebody who had something to do with that I tried Old, old Lars himself probably out there talking to talking to deportation. We'll find you a nice lady. Get him the fuck out of here. All right, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same channel. Thank you guys as always for tuning in. We'll see you then. Peace.
Later.